Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. I'm Greg Williams, and welcome to my home. And right behind me, we have just experienced probably the most beautiful day we have had in Houston, Texas, all year long. And just look at the sunrise or the sunset behind me. It's just absolutely gorgeous over the Texas Medical Center here. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful day, just where you wanted to open up the windows and and stand on the balcony and just breathe the fresh air in. Uh, I just love if if. If you want to know what heaven's like, come on down to Houston for a while, and it's going to give you an idea of just what it's like on the the south side of heaven. It's a wonderful place to be. Tonight is going to be an awesome program. This is going to be one of those that you want to get on your phone or text somebody right now and and email them and say, hey, wait, Greg's saying that he's got somebody special tonight. I don't have only somebody special. I have somebody that's going to be on here that's going to give you a way to live a way to make your life better. And it's going to be one of those books that I'm going to almost money back guarantee that if you get this, you are going to be blessed because you have received this. It's that type of book. And I I love reading every one of the books that we have uh, on, on the, when I have a guest on, I always make that as a priority of mine. And this one, I am so proud to have it right on my coffee table. And it's a keeper. And every time somebody comes in or I'm going to be able to show this book because it's a not only a good read, but it's a keepsake. So I'm honored to have uh, our guest on tonight. You know, as we go into uh, the week after Easter and and uh, the, the trees are starting to flourish and things are starting to turn green and and I'm still eating all that chocolate and uh, heaps and all those things that you get from uh, all the kids that were supposed to eat there. You sneak a few of those away so you can enjoy them. Uh, I, I was thinking about what kind of week I had, and I always like to share just the first couple minutes of letting you know um, maybe something that you can integrate into your upcoming week. And I've always said that if you will just turn your TV off and turn your computer on or your radio or your iPod or whatever you do to listen to the program tonight, um, if you invest a little bit of time with us, I really believe, and I know tonight's going to be a fact, uh, that you're going to get something that you can use, something that you can put on and take to the office tomorrow or when you're in a conversation with a friend. And I've had one of those weeks that I was blindsided with something that I wasn't expecting in my family, and it makes you wonder where you are in life. Um, and I think there's some things that I need to remember to do that I, if I want to continue to stay successful and keep my mind on the positive track that it needs to be on 
consistently. These are a few things you may just want to write down. I personally believe that I need to stop putting my needs on the back burner. I need to take care of myself. I need to have my own self-care program. Sometimes I run until I'm on empty, and then I just pray, Lord, that I don't run out of gas before I get to the next destination emotionally. And that's just not good for me, even though I know I do it all the time. And the most painful thing is losing yourself in the process of loving someone else. Can you do that? Can you lose who you are in caring and looking after someone? You can and we need to understand that, that that mindset is so important. Bring that pot that is simmering on the back that represents you to the front of the stove and stir it. Take care of it and making sure it's not burning or empty and it doesn't need more water. And only you can do that. Stop being scared of making a mistake. I think a lot of times in life, and you're going to hear from probably one of the most professional people and successful people we've ever had on our program the last three and a half years, is tonight. And I think sometimes when you make a mistake, it allows us to learn something that we would have never learned if the week went good, if the week went smooth, if there wasn't a pothole. And, uh, you know, I drive differently in Houston what I did in Missouri and Illinois because Houston's famous in all the bayous around here that we have potholes, we have roads that dip, and we just have, you know, manholes and things that have given out uh, because of all the water that's underneath our streets. So I've learned how to drive differently. You just drive like this. You know, you're, you're curving those life events that doesn't tear up your car. I need to do that in my own personal life, too, that when I make a mistake, don't be ashamed, don't stay down, stand up, brush yourself off, and learn from it, and say, what can I take in the next week so I will miss that pothole next time it's in my path? Stop berating yourself of all those mistakes you have done in the past. You are not your past. You are not what's happened to you, and your future is what you want it to be. So don't always think that, you know, my dad used to tell me, Greg, you're worthless. You're a mistake. You're never going to amount to anything. Those things are my past. My dad is dead in the grave, but some days I still let that dead vessel of that spirit that hurt me and abused me to still control me. I need to take those reins back, and possibly you do too. Stop looking to other people for your happiness. I live alone here, and sometimes it gets pretty dark in this room. Uh, sometimes it gets pretty hurtful in this room. Um, and I need to be happy on the inside and be happy with just myself and understand that that's what life is about. I also want to stop overlooking the beauty in small moments. And this is going to be the last one. But if we could, just stop and look at that small moment right there. That sunset. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the reason I live right here at this location is for this moment in time. But you know those days that go by that I walk right past those windows and never look at it. But you just need to stop and look and go, wow. We overlook those special moments and those small moments in life that make all the difference. So next time you're out with coffee with a friend, 
Next time you're out with a significant other having dinner and you're just both doing this on your phones and all you see is the forehead of the other person. Say, hey, let's put the phones down and look at my eyes. And just look at them. And remember the beauty that each of you behold and each of you have and the importance and the value of the treasure that you have in each of your hearts. That's just a few things that I needed to, to learn this week and needed to be reminded of. And maybe, maybe you did too. Tell you what, I have a friend. I don't have many, but I have a friend, Kim, that is in the book promotion business. And she has um, asked me if I would be interested in having some of her authors on. And when she uh, pointed me towards our guest this evening, I was absolutely thrilled uh, that I have the honor of having Ed Hagem on our program tonight. And Ed is uh, the son of a, a Syrian immigrant. He has a story that he's going to share as much detail as he wants, but I really want him to talk about his book, but his life is another three-part series we could do because it's just unbelievable, the story that he had. Um, but he was also probably one of the most seasoned Wall Street executives that we've ever had with, and listen to the companies, with E.F. Hudden, Lehman Brothers, uh, Furman Selfs, uh, ING, uh, America's Region, I can just keep on going. And he has, I don't know how many years. Um, and he's just an awesome 86-year young man that's going to be on the program right now. And it is my privilege to be able to let you know that this is the book that everybody needs to order tonight. Ed, welcome to the program. It's an honor to have you on tonight with us. How are you, my friend? <laughs> It's an honor. It's an honor to be on. And as you were speaking, I was just copying down things that sort of fit into what I really like to talk about. And breaking the silence is one of my one of my my mantras because uh, at 18 years old, uh, coming from an orphanage, I buried my life. I didn't tell anybody about my background until I was uh, 50 years later, when my wife and others put pressure on me to put it on paper. So I broke the silence after 50 years. And it took me another six or seven years to get the thing written. So, <laughs> and that, no, and it, that it, book about you know, your life such, is titled "What It Really Rang True." I believe life is in four parts: self, family, work, and community. Is my word for giving back. And you must juggle those. And self is just as important as anything else. In fact, you don't get self right, you may not get the others right. Self, family, work, and community. And community is my word for giving back. And I believe it's a juggling act. And as you said it brilliantly, if you spend too much time on one of them, you neglect the other ones, and they're just as important. And some, you know, some, some, when you're juggling those balls, you know, the, the work ball will bounce. The family ball doesn't bounce if it goes, if you, you drop it. And the self ball won't bounce either. So you got to be careful what you have in the air. And I always start with three balls, and then somewhere along your life, you have to go to community because giving back is, you know, what we all put on the planet for. You know that. Yeah, that is great. You know, um, before we get into your latest book, um, hold up the book that has become literally a classic uh, that is called On a Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. What a beautiful cover. And there you are. Well, that's my father. He's kidnapping me, taking me, taking me across country. My mother got, got custody of me. Wow. <laughs> that's 1930s. 33 uh, Ford Roadster. 
It was a four or five day trip between St. Louis and Los Angeles. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have that car right now? Oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, uh, if you, you read that book, I was uh, I was in, in, initiated into Horatio Alger, and I had a few hours before the initiation, and I went over to the to the uh, Smithsonian Museum, and I walked in the transportation building, and there this car was, which is enough to scare everybody to death. But in back of it was a map showing from St. Louis to Los Angeles with a black line. And that's, and that's the where, exact route you took. That's, that's well, my, my mother, when she got custody of me, after they got divorced in 1939, moved me back to her home in St. Louis. My father got visiting rights on Sunday. He arrived on Sunday. Instead of taking me to the park or to movie, he got back on Highway 66, took me back to Los Angeles, told her not to look for me. And then subsequently, shortly thereafter, he said she died. And I believe that for, you can find out in the book, for almost 60 years. And then come to find out, she hadn't. She hadn't. No, she hadn't. She, I, I, he died, and, I, and I, it's a long story. It's in it says chapter in the book. He died and left a suitcase. And I put it away in a closet in Connecticut for 25 years. And my wife says, we're throwing this away unless you look at it. So it was a rainy weekend, and luckily I looked at it and found out some old letters. And sure, sure enough, she didn't die. But it was but all my life. And I, you know, basically I went to college and I said to people, my father's a radio operator. He's always at sea. I live in a post office box in San Francisco. And my mother died when I was three. And that's the end of the story. I never told them about my time in orphanages and foster homes and hotels and motels and things like that. Because I didn't want to I don't want to deal with it. A little bit of neglect is not bad. You know, a little bit of denial, I mean, is not bad because then I don't have to explain to people about things because in those days 1954 you weren't looked upon as being someone that they want to associate with if you were poor and it came from that kind of a background they just didn't they rejected you and i got rejected in my freshman year pretty bad but i overcame that in my the rest of my time in college but we're getting into it it was it's it's been a background that you know people say how awful it was and it was pretty tough because not as bad it sounds like you had a much worse situation but my foster home was cold and they were they were you know abusive they were awful uh, you know but i had the next one was a little bit better and then the final one which i always spent six months was was loving was was warm and and caring so i i actually had one at least model family that i lived with i only lasted six months because my father wanted me back on the east coast after the war was over yeah. but you know doing the five foster homes you know the ymca on 34th street hotels in coney island and then you know a couple of orphanages. Uh, and, you know, those are 18 years. And people say, oh, isn't it awful? Well, just like you, uh, I suspect you recognize those disadvantages. Some of them became advantages. I mean, what could be a greater advantage than learning how to go from one schoolyard to the next? About your third schoolyard, you learn how to adapt to a new environment. Or if you go from one orphanage to the rites of passage, you understand how to get in and do that. So when you get into business, and there's a difficult situation, you know, you can handle it because you're adaptable. You also get resilience. You, you know, you, you, you come through certain difficult situations and you're able to get resistance, perseverance, self-confidence. All those things come from a difficult childhood. And I also, you know, you got anger too, which is, and luckily, initially I was an angry young man. And then slowly but surely I was able to direct that anger to try to do better than I thought I could. And that anger is energy. And it worked out for me, but it, you can be angry. And I would, I still get angry on a Sunday afternoon sometimes. I'm not sure why, because the orphanage, no, nobody came on Sunday. 
So, oh. so I, you know, I, I, I could feel that that pain. But anyway, that's the the thumbnail of the the background, and uh, it you know it's 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 a story that's hard to believe. I mean, my my father ba- abandoned me four three or four times, but on the other hand, he gave me the one thing that I really am pushing in a couple of organizations I'm working for. It's what I call unconditional love or regular contact. Unconditional love is a nice statement, but regular contact, as you know, is very important. Is you have somebody to talk to on a regular basis. I'm involved in a group in, in, in Boston, right? That has 75 students in the colleges. And each one of those students must talk to their counselor once a week. Wow. And not one of those kids has ever not graduated so far. She's, this woman's been in the business about 10 years now. She's gone from five students to 75. She's on her way to 200. They're all from foster homes. But anyway, I, I rattled on my daughter says, Dad, you always answer the question too long. So, <laughs> Oh, no. No, I love that. I'm, I'm finding out. So uh, from your perspective and your point of view from where you're at right now, the, the, the proofs that are in this book, The Island of the Four Peas, the truths that you share here could have started in the School of Hard Knocks that you've experienced as a child all the way through all of those hurdles. So when you have those hurdles in your life, it's causing you to develop muscles you didn't know you had. Those exactly. That's, no, that's exactly it. And I look back at the, I look back at the yellow pads that I wrote down. You know, certain things it was because of the hard knocks. And also, as you as you take hard knocks, when when I went from the orphanage to college, it wasn't an easy transition. But it was a better deal being at college than it was being at the orphanage. So, oh yeah. <laughs> and and all through my life, things have gotten. Well, I've been very lucky. Lived in a good situation, and but you know things have gotten a little bit better. But there have been difficult times. I mean, and difficult times. Since you've gone through some difficult times, you end up you know able to 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 accept them, adjust to them, handle them. And you know, people in my particular milieu right now who are comfortable and so forth. So they ask, well, I can't send my kid to orphanage. What should I do? I said, on the summertime, send them on outward bound. Send them to Knowles. Get them a job in a mental hospital. You know, get mm-hmm. them. Don't waste your summers. Give them true life experiences where they got to be on their own. And, you know, know, I I grew up, my kids grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. But, you know, my daughter spent time in the Baja on a canoe. And my my grandson was in Alaska 30 days in the rain in an old trip. So these kinds of things can help. You really, you gain, you got to be by yourself. It's unfortunate. And that's why the main story behind the book is, I don't want to summarize it too quickly, but. The main story behind the book is, is a conversation with your inner voice. It truly is the only constant. And I find that most life decisions are made between you and yourself. And if you can build a vocabulary, build a vocabulary with yourself that works. And you keep going back to it. I think you can really, it makes life a little easier. And that's my goal for this book is to take a few of the bumps out of young people's lives or people in transition. They have something to go back to. And in, in your world... And, you know, being in the world that you were in was not an easy world to no. be successful in or to even have consistency because it's it's a roller coaster ride uh, all the time, I can imagine. How, how important is it for us to have time to be able to have that inner conversation with us? Because it seems like time for me, I'll push my own private time to the side to help other people. There's not too much benefit in that for me, is there? No, and you, but you, you must set it aside. I, 
Uh, well, first of all, I believe in very definitely once a year. And I, well, I, after I had old enough, I started to take a boat in the Caribbean. Well, oh, you wow. were cut off from all the, in those days, there were no faxes, no telephones, no nothing. And you were stuck there with your family on a boat and you took a walk on an island and you sat there. And, we, and I had every year we wrote down. And I used to get my kids books to read like Who My Cheese or, or If or The Secret, and things like that. We spent seven days together. I believe that every year you should go through that as carefully as you can and focus on us all the four parts, self, family, work, and community, and recognize that you're always going to be out of balance. Balance is not a true subject. Nobody is ever in balance by definition, because in order to be successful in any one of those arenas, so say work, you have to focus. Once you focus, you neglect the other areas for a period of time. So, and I believe also in what I call a deep dive every three to five years. Go really take time, go someplace where you can be alone or with somebody who's important to you, like going with my wife, and really go through your passions, principles, partners, plans. Think about yourself, your work, your family. You know, and, and are you giving back? And by the way, that's one of the things that people skip that. They, they become very successful in work and they lose themselves. And one of my principles is just enough, you know, and you get just enough success, just enough fame, and then start giving back because that's the greatest area of satisfaction. And people I find I'm in, in Wall Street, I find a lot of very successful, very wealthy people miss out because they don't get a chance to give back or don't pay enough attention to it. It's, it's how, how many people, Ed, or not how many particularly, but did you often experience people that missed their whole purpose in life by chasing the amount on the check instead of the the role that they were supposed to play in the organization that they were in? They just missed their purpose. How often does that exactly. happen? I, I, that's why I'm very strong on principles. Simple sentences which drive you. And the word just enough. You put that into your head. You say, that's just enough fame. I, mean, I don't need any more. I, don't, I, don't. I mean, I, when I was in Wall Street, I, I, one of my lines was to live happy is to live hidden. No fame. I wanted to really work on my company, work with my people, and be successful. And I was. And, and I, I, I credit the fact that I stayed out of the press. I wasn't very good at it either. So, But I stayed out of the press. I stayed off television. And I really concentrated on my people. And people didn't know who I was. In fact, my publicist says, one of your problems is you're non-celebrity. I said, I know, because I really tried to stay away from people like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but now, I, now I'm in a different arena and I have different principles today. I have to tell my story. So I have to become proficient in doing this. But I found so many people that don't put that word just enough in there. You know, and, you know, it, it deals with both good and bad. I mean, I think you can, you can overdo your children. You know, you can, but you're just enough. You have to take them you know, out by themselves and you've got to get to know them and so on and so forth. But, the, you know, then you got to turn them loose. Almost then you were talking about love. You know, you can, you can get lost in, in even in, in, in giving back too much because you get all tangled up in it. But I love to give. I mean, I've been the chairman of the board of trustees of the University of Rochester was wonderful eight years, you know, and, and you know, the things we do at our Nantucket Golf Club, we, last year we gave out, you know, 10 vocational scholarships is one of my mini crusades right now is vocational education to me is one of the, the secrets in America. But, you know, I'm, I'm in a very, very good position right now to try and help people out. Do you think but, that um, parents can give too much to their kids? What's your uh, oh, absolutely. wisdom absolutely. of it's, parenting that you can give us uh, tonight? Uh, we can absolutely I, I live, destroy I live, them, right? I live in a very, very a wonderful bubble 
where people are very comfortable. And one of the major complaints is that people don't know, and they, they're, they're struggling, and they're honest people, struggling how much they should give their children, and they recognize that they give them too much. They, they don't have the drive. One of the problems with this generation, and you know, you can, both of us can relate to it, they haven't had a difficult time for the last 40 years. Besides 9-11, which you know, was a New York, more of a New York experience, people have really you know, gone up. It's been a, just a glorious period. Maybe the age of Pericles in Greece was good, but this has been a fabulous period. They didn't go through the, you know, the Depression or the World War. You know, even Vietnam is, 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 was, was before, you know, starting in 1983, just to give you one statistic, stock market 90, Dow Jones was 600. It's 30,000 today. I mean, you know, you know it's, it's, it's it, and, and medical science, which you're more familiar with than I am, has gone just bonkers. I mean, the thing, you know, things that happen today, getting, you know, getting a hip done is, is nothing. You're out there in three weeks and you're back out playing golf again. And, and so I, it's, a, it's a very, very unusual period of history, and I'm worried about it because, you know, you give your kids too much and they just have no drive. And then, some do. I mean, some of the kids, they're just yeah. built in. And I, that's one of my self things, by the way. Pardon me for being too, you know, non-intellectual. But I believe self is a combination of genes. Grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, Aunt Matilda, Uncle Harry, and so on. And then what happens to those genes for the first 18 to 25 years and on, but Really, the, the impact, if you're the, an only child, you know, and you, and you live in 15 or 20 places like I did, you're very different from number three out of six who live in Greenwich, Connecticut the whole time. You know, you, that's the impact of the genes. And, and that's basically, that's why you can't judge your children, because they grew up in a very different time than you did. They had things, they were affected very differently. And you have to understand that and give them a break. You know, I remember I was speaking one time and I, I said something, you know, every now and then I, I chase rabbits, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but I'll get all excited and start chasing rabbits. And, you know, really what our, our world, our country needs today is a good war inside of our country. And people were just almost lynched me. But it's like, no, wait, 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 I, I want to make sure we have experienced freedom all of my life uh, with except you know, never had it on our grounds so since I've been alive. And because of that, I don't know what freedom cost. And in that, I take it for granted. And that's the reason I'm not as resilient. I'm not as awesome as your generation. And I'm only a generation behind you. And I think a few more generations behind, they, they start burning the flag and, and, yeah. and spray painting monuments of historical value. And they forget what... That cost. You can do. You can look at this a number of different ways. And you, you're right on. I mean, you want to be really scared. Look what happened to the British. You know, it's exactly they were they were generation behind us. They got soft and they got they didn't pay attention. They weren't they weren't paying attention to principles. And also, if I was the president, I would put draft or some service thing back in so that everybody has good shared experiences. You know, gives back to the country because it makes a contribution. And that's not happened. I was a naval officer for three years. The greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. I still look back at that as a turning point. If you read J- Hillbilly Effigy, you know, that's a great book. If you really carefully study it, his Marine time really changed him. And that's, yeah. you know, I don't know how you do that, but the, the, the Norwegians have it, the Israelis have it, the Swiss have it. And those are three great countries. So, you know, we need a, you can't say we need a war. I mean, just a, a war yeah. is awful, but, you know, but, but it did, you know, you were trained. And I, you know, we were very, you learned, you learned things you would never learn otherwise. So yeah. I'm nervous about it. 
but and I'm going to be an old fogey. So what I'm trying to do is develop a, a conversation with people so that they can basically handle what's happening right now. And it's handling change. Change is extremely difficult today because it's moving so rapidly. Technology is so far ahead of sociology. <laughs> making me nervous. <laughs> yeah, if we don't have a good grasp on it, we will be behind the the eight ball and we'll miss it all together. We're going to uh, take our first our only break tonight, but write this title down as I hand it up here to you because you're going to want to order this book. And when we come back after this commercial break, we're going to dig and dive in deep into this and hopefully get every one of my sticky notes because I have a lot of questions of the awesomeness and wisdom and knowledge that's in this book. If you have a question, have a comment, 888-627-6008, or you can get on Shattered by the Darkness uh, Facebook page right now. And my son that's in the military in the Army uh, in Seattle, Washington, is running that for me tonight because I don't do social media. I don't even know how to turn my computer on. But he's taking care of that for me. And uh, we'll be right back after our break. Hang with us. HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. The subtitle in this book, or the title is The Island of the Four Ps, a modern fable about preparing for your future. Unbelievable. Uh, this is going to be one of those rereads and rereads because I, I every time I, I scan through it, I've read it once and then scanned through it two or three times. Um, I keep catching new truths, new knowledge. Ed, what is your opinion of what the pandemic has done to our world and to people personally, and how has it changed our view of where we stand about looking into our future? Well, the, the, the only positive I see in the pandemic is it did bring home that life's not simple. It's the first real overall effect we had on everybody, like war or depression or things like that. So that was, I, I mean, I mean, the things, everything was negative, and that's in the early stages of the pandemic, the colleges in particular, I made this point, I said, recognize coping with this is healthy. But on the other hand, it's created a lot of very unhealthy experiences, one of which basically is, you know, basically we're, we've lost the constant of mentorship. I think people learn more from other people than any other way. There's no two ways about that. And that has been decreased. That's one thing. Other other thing, I think that the work habit has changed a bit. 
which is not not good. Now, some working at home or some not working in the office, I get there, there's some things that will work out, but I don't believe that this is going to be the healthiest thing, separating people and making a, you know, a non-work experience, especially in, in some professions like yours. I mean, I mean, you learn by, by watching people. I mean, why do you, why do they have a, an operation of a theater and surgery? I mean, this is, <laughs> this is something you have to know. And in my business, I mean, when I was a young man on wall street, watching some of the old professionals, the way they handled people, the way they understood concepts, the way they they bought and sold things. I mean, that was a it was a it was an education like no none other. Most 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 jobs need what I call belly to belly. That's one thing the the COVID has done. Also, COVID has divided the country a little bit. I I have uh, enough contact with the anti vaxxers which they you know it's very very you know it's very very demoralizing. They're very strong on it. And then you have the other side, which is you know the vaccinated people. And then there's an argument that you know, back and forth. So it, I think it divided the country a little bit more than even was divided. So I think overall it's been negative. I, you know, I, but but on the other hand, it, it has sent a message that life is not simple, and there can be things which really upset us. And that's you know, there are other things that I'm I'm hoping yeah. people focus on. But in general, the the lack of contact with others, you know, it's bad enough you're staring at your phone all day long. But if you're home, and I, of course I, you know, I'm an old fogey. I believe in uniforms. You know, I mean, I wore a blue suit and a tie and a jacket for 50 years. And I don't, you don't have to wear that. You don't have to wear a tie. But, you know, if you get up and you, you, you're you in your pajamas and you're on your on your, your, your uh, high iPad, I'm not sure that's the best attitude possible. I mean, you know, I like the belly-to-belly concept because I really think brushing up next to other people allows us to learn from and also mentor others. And uh, if you don't do that in the same room and see and witness how they overcome or handle things, you can't do that through a text or an email. Uh, well, and the, the, the idea that you, know, you have a conversation, you have, you have a conversation over Zoom and you turn it off and then you, you, you throw up an idea. You can't send it back on. But you're in an office, the guy going in the gal's office, you talk to her, you talk to her, you get something done, you walk down the hall, you change your mind, you run right back and talk to her again yeah you can't do that with zoom he's gone he's done something else and so on and so forth that's very important <laughs> this this one uh it's on i don't know what page it's around page 30 uh the barriers that interfere with pursuing your passions how how important is passion in a person's life and why was that uh, so important in the book. Why Why do we need to have passion? What's the difference? I find when I actually, when I dig down to myself, and I dig, I, I, these are all personal things. I dig down and I, I obviously was a manager of at one point 800 people and one time at the university of 30,000 people. I found that those people who are most successful are quote unquote, first of all, understanding their passions and they're lucky enough to exercise them because you can find your passion and just find it's not the right time for it or you have to do something else, a slight detour. But learning what you want, what you can do, first of all, then learning what you want to do, then learning if there's a need for that, for that particular capability. Now, maybe in, the fu- maybe in the future, but I find the passion drives people and the happiest people I found are doing what they really want to do. 
And I, that's why I say dig down. And, and, and by the way, passions change. I get a kick out of this. You know, when I, I think passions start to show up, real passions show up in, in your senior teens. You go to in high school, I math and science, baseball, basketball, and girls. Those are my passions, all right? College, college they morphed. You know, the you know, girls probably stayed in place, but but my, my math and science morphed first to the physics. And I by the way, I failed miserably in my sophomore year and realized physics wasn't for me. And then I have another little island of quote, early failure is a gift. And you wow. were talking about this too. It really is. I learned enormous about physics. I could have done it, but it was very hard. I couldn't associate with the people and I didn't want to devote the time to that. It took away from everything else. So I decided to become an, I got an engineering degree and I got a commission as an incident in the United States Navy. But my, my athletics, my, my baseball and basketball morphed after my freshman year. I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, morphed into extracurricular activities. And I began to start doing everything. I was a head of the finance board. I was a student government. I was a business manager of the Dramatic Society. I was an editor, editor of the yearbook. I was even social chairman of my fraternity. And then my, my junior year, I started a magazine from scratch and I found out my, I didn't know as much true passion, but I found out my, I really was passionate about putting people together to solve a problem or wow. create, a, create a program. And then I found that inside that passion, and I recognized this 10 or 15 years later, what really gave me my kicks was helping people do better than they thought they could. This wow. simple idea like that. I just, the, the cartoonist who worked for me in this it was a humor magazine, seeing him just do better than he thought he could just got me all excited and, you know, and he and I got excited together and things like that. So that's what, and, and then you know, so people have to watch, one of my passions right now are very different. I don't, math and science oh, yeah. is by, what I'm passionate about is, is taking a few ideas, which I've learned over the years and conveying them to people. And hopefully it'll get them over a few bucks, especially the kids at 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, I got a letter the other day from a woman who said her daughter was confused. She read my book. Now she's a freshman at Notre Dame. I mean, that, that, that took care of everything, Doctor. That yeah, that is great. I, I always use the, the line that there's two most important days of your life. One's the day you were born, and the second one is the day when you discover why you were born. <laughs> how, how important is that purpose to discover, to take the time to invest in, hey, that's why I was created. I think it's 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 vital. It's part of your passion. So you're you're created to to do something in particular. But you, we are this bundle of genes and this this experience and so forth. And we're also created at a certain point in history. And you got to take those three things. They're they're hard to balance. Those are the three things you have to take in consideration and find something which you can accomplish. I mean, I talked to to I'm, I'm giving graduation speech at a, at a community college. Nurses have a passion for what they're doing. And they yeah. can see that they're making a contribution and it's very positive for them. So what I'm trying to get everybody to do is find something that, and by the way, passion is an overused word. It requires talent. It requires interests, requires likes and dislikes. It's all those things that make you why who you are, you know. And, and they stand out like a sore thumb when a person that doesn't have passion in their job, right? They're just there yeah, for the it, paycheck. It, it's, it's almost impossible. It's, yeah, it's you're hard. right. Yeah. Um, this principle number three on page 43 and you've already touched on it, but I just want to see if there's any, anything you want to dig a little deeper here. Uh, decide what's enough, enough money, enough possessions, enough accomplishments, enough recognition, engagement, and love, and don't pursue more than enough. That hit me right between the eyes because I think there's billionaires that said, hey, 
how much more do you want to make? Just one more, one more dollar, one more dollar. And they were never satisfied. Uh, unlike JC Penny, they end up giving, you know, half of it away or majority of it away. What's your thought? Is there any other wisdom that you have on this? Uh, I think the, the exercise, the exercise that you go through describing just enough in each of the major categories will help you in everything you do, because you'll come to that barrier and say, you know, I said this was enough. Why isn't it enough now? And if it's enough, then you take that energy and use it someplace else. In other words, if you are successful in business and you, you know, you have a chance to, to go to the next step, you can spend more of your energy in giving back and getting satisfaction out of that. Or if you find you have, you know, a difficult family situation, one of your children is more complicated. Than you thought, you know, you have just a limited amount of energy and time. I mean, you reach, reach, reach a certain point, by the way, certain areas like finances and fame, taking that next step, you could fall. And I've seen so many people go beyond just enough because as you rise up in any one of these areas, it becomes much more complicated, more intense and more time consuming. You know, we've seen this in fame so many times. And of course, in my business, I've seen people, you know, cross the line because they wanted a little bit more. You know, I have a very close friend that ended up you know, in difficulty because he wanted a little bit more. And I, you know, and that's dangerous because as you, in my third chapter on partners, people, as they climb up the, each, each of those levels you know, self, you become much too involved in yourself. Just mm-hmm. enough self is, all, just, is very important too. don't take yourself too seriously, but take it seriously enough. You know, right, so that's good. It, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a balancing act. But, you know, I, I think just having that message, it, have I got enough of this? Yeah. Okay, then I don't need any more. And so when you make that next turn in the road, look, I went nineteen. I was forty-seven years old. I got thrown out of Lehman Brothers after doing a fabulous job. I wasn't going to. And one of my principles is never be a victim. Use that energy to what's next. I shifted from being with, with a highly prestigious firm like Lehman Brothers. I went to a company called Firm and Cells. Nobody ever heard of it. A little tiny firm, but I was exercising my passion. And, you know, they, <laughs> my office at Lehman Brothers overlooked the whole harbor. You know, I, the dining room was, you know, with white glove waiters and so forth. And the firm itself, my office all looked a brick wall. And the dining room was a hot plate in the conference room. So but <laughs> this, is, this is my passion. I had, I had a great time. And I had enough money. I didn't have a lot of money, but I had enough to get through. And I figured if I'd do well at firm itself, I, I could, you know, I'd do okay. But I gave up really seeking out money at that point in time. Now, as, a, as a young person, money was very important because I was very poor. I graduated, you know, business school with a... Negative net worth. I had to call them up and send me some money so I could get across country. <laughs> but so the, the, the just enough principle, and by the way, it's a Howard Stevenson. He's a professor at the business school. He wrote a book called Just Enough, which I, I highly recommend. The first hundred pages is really brilliant. I mean, he, he laid it out and, and he's, he's been one of his principles. He was one of my mentors at, at the Harvard Business School. In, in the book, you talk about passion and you talk about principles a lot. What's the difference? Oh, what big what difference. is the key differences between those two? And oh. can you have so much passion? And I think you probably just hit on this, that it jeopardizes your principles. And I think we've seen this in political leaders. They keep trying to think they're doing the right thing, but they put their integrity and their honesty and some things on the line. And now they're behind bars. <laughs> but What's the difference between passion and principles from your well, first family? of all, there are negative, very negative passions, as you know. In the book, 
market, my, my main character wanders off one afternoon into the blue area of the village of passions. And he comes back, you know, with, you know, whoa, whoa. And we don't spend a lot of time on that, but it tells you you can have negative passions and there are negative passions. You gotta be careful. Also principles basically are a little bit of a monitoring device on, 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 uh, on passion, but they're also more universal. Passions can change as you go through life. Principles stay, can stay with you. For example, the principle I learned in the Catholic schools, you know, I learned the golden rule from the golden ruler. I mean, the nuns took care of me. And the golden rule lasted a lifetime. It never changed, never changed. And other other principles I got, you know, early on, some of I've had to change, but a lot of them stayed in place. You know, just enough as a principle. I stayed with that all, all my life. And so th- there's a difference there. Passions really do change. They change significantly, and it changes with time. Principles can stay in place, and uh, you know, you've got to be very careful if you don't change your principles too often. You have to stay with them. And used to be religion took care of all this, but we've, you know, we've lost a little of that over time. And it doesn't quite say the same thing as it said. You know, when I was a child, you know, Catholic school was brilliant. I mean, they laid out it, laid it out, and if you did this, you ended up in the right place. If you did this, you ended up in the other place. It was a very simple decision. People yeah. don't have those decisions anymore. It's much more complicated, but there's a big difference. But people could argue that principles come first. I, in my book, I do discuss the fact my the, the blacksmith talks about, you know, shouldn't principles come first? And we get into a discussion. The whole book is not right or wrong things. It shows you how to discuss things. And by the way, certain people will have principles first. That's fine. That's okay. In other words, some people will take their principles and then from that, limit their passions and be happy as a clam, you know, mm-hmm. because their principle will be more important to them than their passions. That could happen. Yeah, th- that's a good point. Now, I'm, I'm about, this was about halfway in the book in the 80s. Uh, when I read this line, I immediately pulled out a sticky note and, and put it there going, when you said, don't ask partners to define your passions and principles, that's your job. And I wrote beside it, if you don't define your passions and your principles, someone else will, correct? Right. And that, well, that that's one of the deleterious situations in, in life today. People let others d- define them. And they, they you'll, you'll go through years and all of a sudden you realize this is not what you want to do. The old days, one of the problems was their parents, you know, I'm a lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer. And that was a really a total disaster, you know. Or I'm a dentist and you're going to be a dentist. Which is even worse, I had a friend of mine who went up on Wall Street. He said, my father, I went to dental school and then from there I went to Wall Street. You know, it's, so, but, you know, that's very important that you basically define yourself. We're all unique and we're unique because of this combination of genes and experiences and context. You know, if you grow up in the Depression, you're a different person. It's just yeah. by definition. But on the other hand, you have these and you're, we're all unique. And that's why this book wants you to decide for yourself. It's just trying to give you a vocabulary, a conversation with yourself and also with, with your mentor or with somebody you can talk to. I have found one of the most important things with people in trauma or people like yourself and so forth is to find someone who's interested in you. My father did abandon me four times, but he gave me the one thing that I, I think everybody needs. He gave me unconditional love and he gave me attention. His letters and his conversation, you know, his, his telegrams and so forth, always said, you're the greatest. And this is what this group in, in, in Boston does. Basically, they continue to communicate with these young people, keeping them in, you know, letting them know that they're interested in them. And, and during COVID, these kids had no place to go. 
So this universe, this organization became vital in placing them with families in the Boston area. So, but I, you know, you, I, you, I personally, you, after reading this, other people define for you. And by the way, people say, "What about heroes?" I said, "Forget heroes. Take the some parts of heroes, and you know, and and basically emulate it." No, it's I love Winston Churchill's perseverance. I don't want his drinking habits. I think Stephen Jobs was the most creative guy I've ever come across. I wouldn't want his personality. And so take certain things from different people and try not to, you know, over overplay role models because we're all so vulnerable and none, none of us are perfect, but we have some good traits and you can yeah. pick them up. Yeah. Don't, don't you think, because after completing this, um, every high school ought to require this reading. Every I, high I, school, because this is stuff that's not being taught today. What's your take that's on exactly that? Right. Well, we started a little course at the University of Rochester. Now we had 20 students in a life design course. Because what I want to communicate to students, basically, is you come to college, and the college says, we're going to give you some academic capabilities. I want the college to send a second message, which is, we're interested in you. And here's what we're going to help you do. Now, I, I'd like to, and by the way, there are a number of people who've read the, the reason I published the book was I had at least a half a dozen people tell me that exactly what you said. Every high school student, every high school junior and senior, and every freshman should read a book like this anyway. So where they where they have certain things which they collect, and I, you know, my my testimark basically in the book is a device that is really that, that's your mind, that's yourself, and I believe in writing things down. So you know, I have these yellow pads that I have kept dozens of them, writing stuff down. So because when you think it's fuzzy, when you talk it's fuzzy, when you write something down, you can sit and look at it. And it'll yeah. hold you. It'll, it'll save you. You'll go back to that. Especially when you got to make, you know, very difficult moral decisions when you, you get to be older. Lines are pretty fuzzy sometimes. Yeah. This, uh, you really have like a minute or two, but um, explain real quick the S-curve. S-curve is simple. You know, in life, basically, there is a bottom a, a run and a top in almost everything. I mean, uh, the easiest thing to explain to kids is that, is cassettes, you know, when we wanted music, we used to have discs, right? You know, they well, first of all, you didn't. You had radio when I was a kid, and then you had television, and then you had discs, and now discs. And you know, we had black records, and this each one of these went out of business. So the beginning, it was oh wow, discs, and they they went up the S curve, then they topped out, and then some new technology came, and they went away. You know, and if you got to know where you are on the S curve, and when things are terrific, and there's a new era, everything's going great, and it's uh, that's the time. You know, it's the old story. Buy low and sell high. And it, but, you know, basically when things are awful or things are brand new, you know, not necessarily awful, but things are brand new. Things, you know, like AI today. AI is at the bottom of its of its S-curve. I don't know where it's going to go. It could take a long time on the bottom, you know, before it comes out. That's a new idea. Uh, on the other hand, you know, things that, you know, for, like the banks today are under a lot of pressure. OK, this is a time you got to look carefully at the banks there. You know, they're, they're, some of the banks are quite quite good. They may have thrown the babies out with the bathwater. Then the, the, the banks are going to an S-curve again, and they'll go up again, hopefully some of them will anyway. And so in, in the planting season, you plant at the right time, you grow more crops, you know, and then you have to harvest and so forth. So and and then, and the S-curves the keep going up. They, some some right. organizations can keep, you know, getting on the next, next light, wave. What I want people to do in their lifetime is to seek out themes, waves, cycles that they can get on early on. And the real estate cycle is the obvious one. I mean, you know, I was so lucky and I sold my company the first time in 1987. 
And sure enough, 88, 88, 90, 88, 89, 90, the real estate had a crash. You may remember that. So yeah. I went around the country buying places that someday I might want to live in. So I have a place in Nantucket and I have a place in uh, Vail and a place down here in Florida that I could not afford today. But I was there at the right time. So I say to people, you know, there will be real estate cycles. There will be a bottom, a curve in real estate. Almost in every place you look, just in your lifetime, just pick out a place you want to go and wait and put money away or whatever, put your funds away till the time comes again. And then it's a time to sell also. You know, you know we, we sold our place in Greenwich. You right after 9-11, went to New York. New York was down at the bottom of the S-curve because, you know, 9-11. Greenwich was up here because, uh, you know, people were moving out of town. My wife was brilliant, said, we've been in a big old house too long. Kids are gone. Let's sell this and buy a place in New York. And it turned out to be really well because Greenwich went quiet for 20 years. And New York City did, you know, came back. It wasn't terrific, but it came back. So, I, you know, I, I just, that's something that people should pay a little attention to. Ask for yourself where you are on the S-curve. And if you if the things are euphoric and terrific and so forth, may not be the best time to enter that particular arena. And right. you may want to find out. But again, I, I'm not afraid of someone says, I don't care. This is my passion. That's okay, too. Right. Right. And, and, and by the way, the S-curve is not necessarily financial. Take right. a friend of mine who, who's, who's a champion. He's a, a, a curvature of the spine surgeon. And when he finished medical school, instead of going to any hospital in the United States, he went to Ethiopia, where the demand for that kind of surgery was unlimited. And now, 30 years later, he's changed and saved so many lives because he went to a place where there was a total need for his particular capability. And that's the other thing. Look for an unsatisfied. Now, I I kid about this, but Nantucket, I built a golf course. People say, you're crazy. And I'm going to be able to It was the latent demand for golf in Nantucket. That's another whole story about that. <laughs> Never be a victim. I get I got up there, they rejected me at all the clubs, so I built my own. There you go. <laughs> and I can't I can't tell you how great it is for you to be on the program tonight. This is the book, folks. You will enjoy this. It is absolutely beautiful in all of the colors and the pictures and everything that's in here. It's just really, really, really a work of art. And Ed, I can tell you how honored I am to have you on the program tonight. And I would love to have you back because I only skimmed the surface of what I want to find out more inside of you, if that's all right. Time, doctor, you, you would, you've asked some of the great questions tonight. And I love the idea that what you said about the book, because it's like many fables. You'll read through it. It's a fable. Then all of a sudden you'll start to see little things in it. And by the way, you'll be picking them out. You'll be relating yourself to those items. You'll hear the two people talking and say, that's me. I can understand that. Yes. A friend of mine said, I, I, it's, not, it's non-preachable. And basically, you have to read it a couple of times in order to get the, the real essence of it. And you're yeah. going to have to dig dig into it and put your own modifications into it. So There's one. I'll never forget it, Ed. Thank you so much. No, the thank you so much. The Island of the Four Ps, <laughs> a modern fable about preparing for your future. Thank you, Ed, for being with us tonight. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Hey, God as bless. we do every week, I always like to just end the program real quick because we're short on time because I just kept wanting to get more out of it. But we'll have him back, I promise. But as you go through this coming week, I always want to remind you that no matter what you are enduring, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow at the office, lean in. There's always, always hope. Never give up on hope. Again, Ed, thank you for being with us. Have an thank awesome you. week. God bless you. And we'll see you next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence. Have an awesome week. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.